Hello, and welcome to the KPMG Building Confidence Podcast. Today, we've got a great episode lined up for you. Last week, I was joined by Richard and Irene from our internal controls and controls assurance team to talk about regulation, controls, and assurance, but with a particular focus on UK corporate governance reforms. You can find out more about our speakers in the show notes, but you're going to want to jump right into the detail as there's some great stuff in here that will help you prepare for all the change that is set to come. Hope you enjoy it. I think it's 20 years this year since SOX was was introduced over in the US, and that really shone a, a spotlight on, on internal controls and, and, and reporting and assurance around that. But there's now a, a real focus here in the UK on, on internal controls as well. It's, it's certainly one of the hot topics which I hear businesses talking about and, and considering. So maybe you could explain to our listeners why we're talking about internal controls here today. Yeah, very happy to, Phil. So... Following the three independent reviews, so Bryden, Kingman, and the CMA reviews into audit, two years ago, so February 2021, what was then the Department of uh, Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy, so BASE, published a white paper uh, proposing changes around UK corporate governance and audit reform. Now, it was a very long white paper, and there were lots of different elements to it, but the two we're looking at particularly today look to the requirement for companies to publish an audit and assurance policy and some proposals around direct responsibilities in respect of internal controls, particularly over financial reporting. And we had over a year of consultation uh, on that white paper and the feedback from the government came out last May and also more feedback from the FRC the month later, so June 2022. And it proposed to take a number of key components forward, including legislating the establishing audit regulator, so ARGA, to succeed the FRC, and also some more explicit proposals on how particularly FRC wanted to take forward those proposals over what levels of assurance were needed over external reporting. Now, it's fair to say the progress of legislation has been slow, but we're expecting two things. So first of all, we are expecting the government to use to issue a statutory instrument, so secondary legislation, to bring in requirements mandating disclosures uh, over this audit and assurance policy, operational resilience, and dividend policies. That's going to have a likely go-live date of 2024 calendar year-end, so not too far away. Secondly, we're expecting the FRC in the next month or so to ex put out a consultation on the corporate governance count. So impacting listed companies, but also for companies that are thinking about listing in the near term. And we're expecting that to have stronger guidance on the requirements over internal controls over financial reporting or ICFA, including statements on their effectiveness, not only at year ends, but through the year and potentially across a broader range of controls. Irene, did you want to add anything? Yeah, thanks, Richard. I'd probably like to drill into the assurance requirement over internal controls. What I have seen in the past few years represents a clear switch of the dial. There, have be, there has been at least a doubling of demand in controls assurance over this, say, the last three years or so. Increasingly, my clients tell me that a strong internal controls environment and a formal independent assurance over it to their customers and shareholders are becoming a license to operate. 
Now, this is something that was historically driven by the regulators, such as in the financial services, but it is now consistent across various markets. Okay, so so we know there are some big changes on on the way, but but what don't we know? Uh, at the risk of sounding like Donald Rumsfeld, are, are there still some known unknowns out there? Well, yeah, that's that that's true, Phil. And and in the near term, the big unknown is what is the full scope of those FRC changes likely to be? And to put it succinctly, will it just cover internal controls over financial reporting? Or actually, will they take the opportunity to make this bigger and broader to cover controls over all external reporting? So for all companies incorporating climate reporting or nature reporting or in financial services that I look at, the pillar three reports on capital and liquidity. But the original Bayes response in May last year was going down that broader route. Currently, we probably expect this to be slightly more limited in the near term with a focus over financial reporting, but that actually will leave the door open for broader requirements in the future. And that's going to be significant for nearly all of the clients that I talk to. Yeah, yeah, indeed, there's clearly uncertainty surrounding the framework that an organisation should use when attesting on their internal controls. The base response in May has recorded suggestions from companies of, for example, using COSO, Committee of Sponsoring Organization, as well as the SOX 404 as the starting point of a frameworks. Now, from where I sit from the controls assurance practice, there are some frameworks that, that also offer an excellent, excellent starting point. So I mentioned earlier SOC reports, this is the System and Organization Controls Reports, which is a brand name from the AICPA, but used internationally. Now, there are a number of these SOC reports, but the most popular ones are SOC 1 and SOC 2 reports. So SOC 1 focus on ICAFR, while SOC 2 focus on operational areas, for example, security, availability, processing integrity, confidentiality and privacy. Interestingly, the AACPA themselves initially branded this report as a service organization controls report. But in the past few years, they have pivoted for this report to be a system and organization controls report, signaling that the applicability of this report and the underlying frameworks are no longer isolated to service providers but also to any organization looking to assure their system and controls. Thanks. Uh, thanks both. Do we think ICAFA is actually the right starting point here? Because I mean, clearly it's, 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 it's a familiar place to start because of the, the US SOX reporting regime, but, but, but arguably businesses rarely come to grief through, through their actual poor financial reporting. It's, it's, it's wider issues that, that tend to cause those problems. Well, uh, well, I think focusing on ICAFR is the right place to start, Phil. And in practice, where we've worked with firms to build out controls frameworks further, it's nearly always built out from a ICAFR control framework and then building out from that as the core. We're currently working with a number of firms to implement strong ICAFR control frameworks. And it is it is fair to say, though, that those have mostly been larger listed companies 
And the natural starting point, to be fair, has been to look at the COSO framework and to build on what has worked in the US SOX, but to take advantage of 20 years experience in refining that framework. So you are building on the shoulders of giants in terms of uh, the lessons that have been learned. I think you raised that challenge there, Phil, on the link between business failure and poor financial reporting. And I think that's that's one of the challenges we hear a lot. But I think it's also fair to point to the research in the US, and that shows a really strong correlation down the line, so over two or three years, between the implementation of US SOGs and improved corporate performance and reduced numbers of deficiencies and operational issues. So I think the evidence actually is there to say it helps. Clearly, controls over financial reporting are only going to be part of that picture. But implementing a strong controlling environment over financial re reporting normally improves controls across the organisation as a whole. It improves control culture, and that can go upstream in the organisation and not just be confined, confined to finance. Irene, did you want to mention anything more? I did mention SOC1 report earlier on. So this is focused on ICAFER. And this indeed has been the key reports we issue to to our clients for many years. Just as an aside, in the UK, we have a detailed framework that is highly regarded when issuing a SOC1, which is developed by the ICAW. It's AF120, which is reported under ISA 3000. Now, what's been interesting to observe from a controls assurance perspective is that I mentioned SOC 2, so this is a newer standard than SOC 1. And as a firm, we issued our first SOC 2 report in 2015. Now, today, this makes up at least a quarter of all the SOC reports that we issue. And when you talk to our technology clients, for example, SOC 2 is all that they are talking about. The internal control framework used in SOC 2 is the trust services criteria. And that is built by the AICPA. Now, what's very interesting is that the first half of this framework is based on COSO and in fact has just been updated very recently in 2022 to strengthen that link to COSO. Now, the second half of this framework covers technology and cyber-related controls that go into so much more detail than the general IT controls, which is typical in a SOC 1 report. So, for example, firewalls, penetration testing regime, through to detailed privacy control. To me, this signals a broadening of focus from mainly ICAFAR to also include operational type controls, specifically cyber-related controls. And it's very interesting to see that in most, if not all, audit committee meetings that I've attended, the NEDs are looking for far greater comfort over the company's management of, of cyber risk. In fact, I've just attended one yesterday and cyber was mentioned again. So I think this will be the next wave of, of assurance requirements that we see. But look, fundamentally, I fully agree with you, Richard, that dialing up on control culture in the organization is always going to be a positive thing. And this is one that I found very rewarding when working with my clients in preparing for their controls assurance reporting. They've told us that a strong controls environment helped them reduce the number of incidents 
And in an ideal scenario, those stronger control environment and control assurance even increases the value of their business. That's that's very interesting. What what are we actually hearing from from our clients at the moment, and 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 how should businesses prepare? It strikes me we, we, we've got two extremes here. Uh, we've got what businesses are already doing under the existing UK code, and then we've got US SOGs. Is there a halfway house between that? Or, or if we need to improve the, the, the standard here in the UK, do we have to jump all the way uh, straight to the, the US SOGs hurdle? Yeah, you know, I think what we're typically seeing our list of clients do is react in one of three ways. And, and we've done a few surveys of this. There's it's quite interesting it's been consistent over the last year and and really quite interesting that when i say it splits three ways it is broadly 30 33 percent into each of them so about a third of companies are what i'd call early adopters so they're convincing programs of work to implement or improve their control frameworks over financial reporting but most of those started late in late 2021 so they're just over a year into those programs though and in many cases, they're still midway through what is a multi-year program. Some of, some of that adoption is driven by size and scale of the problem they're trying to solve. Some is also because management are seeing, actually, there are benefits in taking efficiency into the business as they improve the control framework. So I often hear the phrase that a, a smaller number of strong controls is better is better than a large number of flabby controls. And you can't use these programs positively to achieve that. Secondly, about a third of companies have started thinking about what they might need to do. And they started that thinking more seriously towards the end of last year, cancelling in budgets and their timelines to start working more seriously from this year. And in particular, post-financial reporting season, given the, the focus often in these programs on finance as one of the key stakeholders. So we're expecting more movements on that, probably around about Easter time. And finally, there are, there are about a third of firms are still in what I'd call the wait and see mode. So they'll be waiting to see what comes out from government in terms of statutory instruments, from the FRC uh, in terms of the consultation we're expecting. But what has been really clear from the early adopters is that these aren't small programs. There can be a significant program of work to do. And actually, there can be some real tangible benefits in terms of steam, streamlining both controls and the underlying processes uh, which management have been able to take advantage of. 100%. I can't agree more, Richard. So I think there are three key learnings I can bring from organizations looking to assure their internal framework, the internal control framework. Number one, as you said, it takes time. So we regularly see a gap in perception between how ready a client thinks they are versus how demonstrable their controls really are. Control frameworks need to be documented. They need to be assessed. The gaps need to be remediated and, and the evidence, strong evidence needs to be maintained. Number two, very importantly, there needs to be senior buy-in for the program and clear ownership of the controls within the framework. And last but not least, there needs to be a strong and consistent governance model to help ensure the efficiency, effectiveness and particularly sustainability of the company-wide control framework, 
this framework needs to mature as risks are better understood and then the controls can be adapted as an ever-evolving control framework. Thanks. And, and how are boards going to get the assurance they need? It, do you think there's a place for third-party assurance over the board statement? You know, we, we know already that that's a key component within the, the US SOX regime. I believe that there needs to be an externally validated assurance in place, particularly over high-risk controls. This can be a combination of ICAFR as well as operational controls and, and can be done on a rolling basis over a number of years. I think a reasonable assurance opinion is obviously the gold-plated standard and that will provide a degree of confidence required by the board and by investors. But, you know, a limited assurance opinion or other type of, of assurance is, is always a good starting point. And in fact, there is a whole continuum of assurance from the small a assurance in the form of review and recommend, for example, through the, the capital A assurance in the form of formal opinion assurance, um, either limited or reasonable assurance. And depending on where an organization is in their readiness, they may start with a small a assurance and build up to that, that capital A assurance. I did share earlier that we've seen a massive growth in demand for control assurance. Now, what's very apparent is that audit committee chairs are now increasingly very interested in the outcome of assurance reviews. And this is now a regular agenda item for, for our meetings, which is not always there in the past. Thanks, Irene. Uh, and what about on the investment side? What do investors want to see in this area? You know, I, I think there are a couple of aspects. So investors do want to see well-controlled companies, not least as we enter a more volatile economic environment or continue in a more volatile economic environment, because that gives a firm a really strong basis for decision-making uh, based on an understanding of what's going on in the business. And, but equally, they do want to see senior management focused on strategy and running the business as they need to respond to change. So not just going there in a tick box approach. Investors will want to benchmark across companies. And I think as, as this new audit and assurance policy comes in, they want to see what's said in it. They want to see what's said in the sustainability statements. And those will be important aspects in giving investors the confidence they need in the company and in management. And I would expect some questions around particularly those uh, sustainability statements from investors at investor days in the future. Yeah, and I'd also like to add that investors want to see a holistic coverage of those internal controls wider than ICFR, given the wide-ranging risks facing contemporary organisation. They'd like to see a credible assurance over internal controls and we're also seeing other stakeholders interested in, in assurance of internal controls, whether they be colleagues, suppliers, service users. And finally, I'm sure it goes without saying that given the dynamic nature of organizational risk and controls, it is important that these are regularly refreshed to help organizations keep ahead of, of the curve. Thanks. And uh, clearly, we've seen a lot of organizations out there who, who are taking really active steps here. 
but equally there are a good number who, who are really just sitting on their hands and, and waiting to see what is what is going to come in, in the form of reform. What, what's your message for them? Yeah, I, I think many of those firms are trying to minimise regretted spend. So a couple of things. So first, it's true to say the government has taken their time on the consultation, but the timetable to go live in 2024 is actually going to be really short. Uh, implementation programmes need to be planned, they need to be executed properly, and they need to have time uh, to be implemented so that you're actually in a position to go live in 2024. There are also skills shortages in the market, and, and that's true right now. So there is an economic driver to securing the teams and implementation partners early uh, if, if firms want to go ahead. And secondly, a well-implemented program over internal controls will yield benefits both in terms of efficiency, so typically there is a reduction in manual efforts, and there is an increase in operational resilience, so fewer mistakes, lower costs, and I think that's going to be really important in volatile economic conditions. So it will be important to view the benefits of the program and not just to see it as a compliance exercise. Yeah, and I can't agree more. It's cliche, but true. The internal control programs are always a journey and it requires a fundamental culture shift throughout the organization. It requires buy-in from the top and, and it needs to have the right partners in assessing and assuring it. Well, thank you very much, both of you. Unfortunately, that's just about all, all the time we have uh, uh, for today's podcast, but it's been fascinating uh, talking to you both on on what is clearly a very a very hot topic. I guess my, my key takeaways are there's clearly a lot of change coming coming down uh, uh, the, the, uh, the pipeline in terms of, of reform. Uh, it's taking quite a long time to arrive, but when it does, actually, there's going to be a lot to do in, in a relatively short space of time. Um, it, it looks like ICAFA could well form form the basis for for the framework, uh, which is which is implemented here. But but it's likely to go wider than that as well, um, and certainly some form of assurance uh, across the, uh, the the assurance continuum is is going to be uh, desirable uh, and will be requested, I suspect, both by boards and and by investors. And I guess my final message would be uh, with a, a likely implementation date of 2024, there's not going to be a lot of time. So, so companies really should be acting now. And, and, and the reality is um, maintaining a, a sound internal controls environment um, just makes good business sense. It shouldn't be a case of, of waiting for reform uh, before you do that. We've got many more great guests in future episodes who are passionate about good governance, ESG and technology. So please do subscribe to our podcast so you receive alerts when new episodes are being published. Thank you and goodbye for now. We can endlessly debate about our future, but now is the time to stop talking and start doing. ESG, environmental, social and governance, embeds positive impact into our actions, not just around climate change, but the whole fabric of society. At KPMG, we have the knowledge, ability, and experience to guide business leaders to drive real change. ESG is now. Are you with us? Search KPMG ESG to find out more.